support for Swindled comes from Claritin. It's that time of year again, when I can barely breathe out of my nose. Yep, seasonal allergies. I have it all. Itchy eyes, congestion, sneezing. Luckily, there's a path to relief. Time to live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that will relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. And it works fast. Claritin's non-drowsy relief starts working in as little as 30 minutes. So not only can you get on with your day sooner, but you can do so without compromise. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Support for Swindled comes from the Jordan Harbinger Show. Here's a podcast you should definitely check out since you're clearly a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show. There's an episode for everyone, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-E-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. On September 1st, 2015, at 7.52 in the morning, Lieutenant Charles Joseph Glenowitz, a 30-year veteran of the Fox Lake Police Department, reported to his dispatcher that he was investigating suspicious activity near the abandoned cement plant in Fox Lake, Illinois. He described seeing three male suspects, two white and one black, fleeing on foot towards the swampy area near the border of Wisconsin. He contacted the dispatcher again three minutes later and requested backup. That was the last time anyone heard Lieutenant Glenowitz's voice. When backup patrol officers arrived at the scene, they discovered Joe Glenowitz's body lying motionless on the ground about 50 yards away from his cruiser. He had been shot twice with his own gun. The first bullet hit Glenowitz's lower abdomen and had been partially blocked by his bulletproof vest 
and the cell phone he wore on his hip. The second bullet hit him fatally in the chest, just underneath the top of his protective vest. Near Glenowitz's body, police found his department-issued pepper spray and baton. His eyeglasses had fallen off as well. Obvious signs of a physical struggle, but no suspects in sight. The police officers at the scene requested all hands on deck to search the woods and marshy areas surrounding the plant. Federal and state agencies sent in reinforcements. An all-out manhunt was underway for the men who killed their brother in blue. More than 400 law enforcement officers searched on foot. Some were canine units, others were on horseback or all-terrain vehicles. Helicopters patrolled from above, equipped with night vision technology and body heat sensors. They had covered every square inch of two square miles for over two months, but the three suspects were never found. The investigation would continue, but the search was over for now. Lieutenant Charles Joseph Glinowitz, who was only one month away from retirement when he was killed, received a hero's funeral. Thousands of people gathered to honor the 52-year-old father of four who gave his life protecting his community. The crowd reflected on his military service and his consistent fashion choice of army fatigues and the origin of his nickname, G.I. Joe. His colleagues reflected on Joe's 30 years of public service as a police officer and all of the lives he had touched during his career. This is Fox Lake Mayor Donnie Schmidt. There's several people in our town you cut us. We bleed Fox Lake Blue. Joe was one of them. Uh, he devoted his entire life to the community. And uh, every time I saw him, I said, hey, Joe, let me use your gun. And he, was re- he always told me negative. And uh, when you got done and you told him something, he go, roger that. Every morning he said he was vertical and caffeinated and uh, you know these are just the things about Joe I'm gonna miss you know so at an emotional vigil held in Lieutenant Glenowitz's honor his widow Melody told the crowd that more than anything Joe would be remembered as a loving husband and father she tried to express how much he would be missed by his family Joe was my best friend in my world my hero the love of my life for the last 26 and a half years. He was the most wonderful, caring, and loving father to our boys. He will truly be missed by all of us. Joe's son DJ echoed his mother's sentiments. I didn't just lose a father. I didn't lose uh, just a coach. I didn't lose a, a trainer or a mentor. You know, Most importantly, my father was my best friend. Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz would be remembered as a hero, and rightfully so. But before he was even buried... Members of the media and politicians would use his death as a wedge to further divide an already racially and politically divided country. An article on InfoWars, the far-right conspiracy website owned by Alex Jones, wondered if Glinowitz's murder was, quote, another violent result of the Black Lives Matter movement. Lloyd Green at the Daily Beast wrote, Look around. History can repeat itself. This past week, Three men gunned down police Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz in the president's adopted home state of Illinois, even as people were mourning the execution-style killing of Darren Goforth, a Harris County, Texas sheriff's deputy. 
Yet Obama and his party appear helpless, hostages to the same demographic forces they courted and then rode to power. Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, in reference to Glenowitz's death, said the following, quote, Cops across this country are feeling the assault. They're feeling the assault from the president from the top on down as we see, whether it's in Ferguson or Baltimore. The response of senior officials of the president, of the attorney general, is to vilify law enforcement. That is fundamentally wrong, and it is endangering the safety and security of us all. Those people, and many more, who were quick to politicize the death of Lieutenant Glinowitz probably should have waited until the investigation was completed. On November 4, 2015, a press conference was held to announce the conclusion of the investigation and to reveal newly discovered details about the case. This is Lake County Major Task Force Commander George Falenko. We're here this morning to wrap up the investigation into the death of Lieutenant Charles Joseph Glenowitz. This extensive investigation has concluded with an overwhelming amount of evidence that Glenowitz's death was a carefully staged suicide. A carefully staged suicide. But why? We have determined this staged suicide was the end result of extensive criminal acts that Glenowitz had been committing. In fact, he was under increasing levels of personal stress from scrutiny of his management of the Fox Lake Police Explorer Unit. The Police Explorer Unit is a program for adolescents who are considering careers in law enforcement. The program provided up-close experience and training alongside law enforcement officers like Joe Glinowitz, who oversaw the Fox Lake chapter. Joe would stage crime scenes, what a coincidence, and teach the kids about certain aspects of the job. Joe was responsible for the lessons and equipment related to the program. He was also solely responsible for the program's finances. After 25,000 man-hours and $300,000, A major break in the case revealed itself in thousands of pages of financial documents and 6,500 pages of deleted text messages from Joe Glinowitz's phone. Investigators had determined that Joe Glinowitz had been stealing and laundering money from the Police Explorer program for over seven years and that at least two other individuals knew about it and participated with him. Joe had spent tens of thousands of dollars of the program's funds on personal expenses travel expenses, mortgage payments, gym memberships, and memberships to pornographic websites. And he had forged signatures on official documents to cover up his improprieties. However, when the new Fox Lake Village Administrator, Anne Marin, announced that she would be conducting an audit of the Fox Lake Police Explorer unit, Joe began to panic. In a text message sent to someone referred to as Individual Number 2 in the released transcripts, Joe laments about a failed attempt at ending the department's sponsorship of the program and considers what would happen if he got caught. Quote, Chief won't sign off to move it to American Legion, and if she gets a hold of the old checking account, I'm pretty well fucked. Joe tells that same individual number two that they should start dumping money into the police explorer checking account as soon as possible, or that they would be visiting him in jail, all caps, two exclamation marks. At one point, Joe became so desperate for a way out that he even considered hiring a member of a local motorcycle gang to kill the woman who was performing the audit. 
Joe told an unidentified friend in a Facebook message that Anne Marin's body might, quote, end up in a swamp. Again, what a coincidence. The investigation had also obtained Joe Glinowitz's personnel file from his three decades as a police officer, and what it contained was not pretty. Joe had been suspended at least five times for multiple infractions. There had been allegations of sexual assault. He had even threatened an emergency dispatcher with his gun one time. All of this was swept under the rug and kept in-house. Chalk another one up to the boys in blue. There are no winners here. Glenowitz committed the ultimate betrayal to the citizens he served and the entire law enforcement community. The facts of his actions prove he behaved for years in a manner completely contrary to the image he portrayed. The only aspect of Joe Glenowitz's public life that seemed to be true was his love for his family. He loved his wife and son so much that he included them in his fraud. Individuals number one and number two in the text message transcripts are his wife Melody and his son DJ, respectively. Melody was later indicted on four counts of dispersing charitable funds without authority and for personal benefit. She pleaded not guilty and is currently awaiting trial. Joe's son DJ has not been charged. Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz's proof that merely wearing a uniform and a badge does not make one a hero, because clearly Joe Glinowitz was no hero. Joe Glinowitz was a coward who was afraid to face the same justice system that he had been championing for 30 years. Joe Glinowitz was a coward who stole money meant to be used to prepare children to follow in his footsteps. Joe Glinowitz brought shame to his department, to his community, and to his family. And so did Frankie Bybee, another law enforcement officer who dishonored the badge in the name of greed. A deputy sheriff in Florida befriends an elderly woman in need for the sole purpose of his own financial gain on this episode of Swindled. They bribed government officials, clear violations of federal and state law, pay to play millions of taxpayer dollars that were wasted, paid tens of millions of dollars or a billion dollars. Support for Swindled comes from Simply Safe. When you travel, do concerns back home nag you? You know, did you lock up? Did you leave a window open? Did you forget a child? Things like that. I know I do. That's why I recommend investing in Simply Safe Home Security today for award winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. Here's a true story that happened to me last week. I was out of town in an unfamiliar city in an unfamiliar room. It was midnight and I was about to fall asleep when I get an alert on my phone. Simply Safe glass break sensor triggered. Not good. So. I log in to view my cameras and I see a massive hailstorm pounding my house in real time. Long story short, I sent a friend over to take care of it. His night was ruined. I slept like a baby. Thank you, Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
The growth of Sarasota from a small, sleepy fishing village to a modern, prosperous city has been the creation of many men and women. Their devoted efforts over the years have projected the ideals of the past into the present to ensure that Sarasota shall continue to be a place of beauty and contentment. When Marsha Soul retired, she made the decision to leave her home state of Oklahoma for the sunnier skies of Sarasota, Florida. Marsha had heard about the active and welcoming community that the state provided for retirees, and she was looking forward to spending her golden years living the life that she saw on all the brochures. But after a few decades in Sarasota, Marsha Soul's mental and physical health had taken a turn for the worse. She was 79 years old and chronically ill. She only had a few friends and lived alone in a house that she rarely left. She required a walker and sometimes a wheelchair to get around. Marcia had fallen into a deep depression. She had spent most of her golden years wasting away in a recliner in front of the television. On October 21st, 2016, Marcia's soul picked up her phone and called her primary caregiver, Dr. Brad Lerner, at his office and described to him the darkness that had overtaken her life. She told him she was seriously considering ending it all soon and that she had a plan to sit in her running car in a closed garage and let the carbon monoxide fill her lungs. The only thing that was stopping her, she told him, was JJ, her two-year-old full-blooded Yorkshire Terrier that she absolutely adored. Marcia told her doctor that JJ was the only thing in her life that made it worth living. This is Dr. Lerner confirming that conversation. Yes, uh, Marcia and I had a conversation where she called and told me that she was very seriously considering committing suicide. And she specifically had planned to go in the garage, turn on her car, and die of carbon monoxide poisoning. At that time, well, the only thing that she said that was stopping her from doing that was her dog. Dr. Lerner handed the phone to a nearby nurse who continued to engage with Miss Soul while he alerted the police on a different line. After hearing Dr. Lerner's concerns that his patient might be suicidal, the dispatcher on the other end agreed to send an officer to perform a welfare check, and a few minutes later, a Sarasota County deputy sheriff was knocking on Marsha Soul's front door. That sheriff was 46-year-old Frankie Eugene Bybee. He had been working for the sheriff's department for over 18 years. Bybee was a military veteran who had returned to his home state of Florida after being discharged in the early 90s to begin working in law enforcement and to start a family. He married a German woman named Heike, with whom he had three sons named Cole, Nicholas, and Samuel. By all appearances, Deputy Frankie Bybee was an upstanding family man and a self-admitted man of faith. Two aspects of his character that would help him reason with Marcia's soul. When he entered the home, Deputy Bybee was greeted immediately by JJ, the terrier. Bybee scooped up the dog and walked towards Marsha Soul, who he found seated in her favorite chair on the phone with her doctor. Marsha was responsive but despondent, so Frank Bybee convinced her to seek help at a hospital and offered to give her a ride. Miss Soul was hesitant to accept the offer because she didn't want to leave JJ behind, so Dr. Lerner's wife offered to watch the dog for a few days until she was released. Deputy Frankie Bybee then gave Marsha Soul a ride to Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Frankie Bybee made sure Marsha's soul was properly admitted and comfortable in her hospital room. He grabbed her hands and bowed his head, 
and the two of them said a prayer together before he said goodbye. A few days later, the Sarasota Sheriff's Office received a message from Marsha Soule. She wanted to commend Frank Bybee for going beyond the call of duty. She explained how the kindness that he exuded during her time of need really helped her get back on her feet, and for that she would be forever grateful. Frank Bybee responded by visiting Marsha Soule at her house to return the gratitude. The two of them exchanged phone numbers and communicated frequently in the following weeks through text messages and phone calls. Bybee would stop by Marsha's house every now and then while on and off duty just to check on her. He even brought his sons over to Miss Soul's house to meet her on at least one occasion. Marsha Soul's retirement seemed to be back on track, although her physical condition had not improved. She told Dr. Lerner that she felt happy because she had received two invitations to Thanksgiving. Frank Bybee had even invited her to accompany him and his family to Bush Gardens to see the Christmas lights. Neighbors said Marsha seemed to be taking better care of herself. She even cleaned out her messy garage with Deputy Bybee's help. For the first time in a long time, Marsha's soul seemed happy to be alive. But then, on December 28, 2016, at about 8.30 p.m., Dr. Lerner received an email from Marsha that ended the assumption that everything was all right. The email read, I am going to kill myself tonight, and it will be your fault. I'm tired of you and your pretty little bitchy slut wife. Thanks for all your help. This email surprised Dr. Lerner for a few reasons. For one, he was under the impression that Marsha Soul's mental health was improving. And two, he thought his wife and Marsha got along rather well. Every interaction he witnessed between the two of them seemed pleasant enough. His wife had even watched her dog while she was away. Dr. Lerner was no stranger to Marsha Soul's abrasive language, but he did not understand why it would be directed at his wife. Something must be very wrong. I was on a vacation. I called my office, advised them that I got this email threatening to kill herself, and asked that one of my associates in the practice follow up on that and see about having her Baker Acted again. The Baker Act, also known as the Florida Mental Health Act of 1971, allows for the involuntary institutionalization and examination of an individual in the state of Florida if that individual is showing signs of mental illness or is in danger of self-harm, harm to others, or self-neglect. The act can be initiated by judges, law enforcement, or physicians. So Dr. Lerner, based on the email that demonstrated both of those criteria, recommended that Marsha be evaluated whether she agreed to it or not. Once again, Marsha Soul's main concern was what would happen to her dog JJ while she was away. Luckily, she had a friend on the force that would ease all of her fears. Marsha's new friend, Frank Bybee, volunteered to watch her most prized possession. She handed Bybee two checks for $1,000 each. One was for car repairs that Frank promised he would take care of for her, and the other was for medical care for JJ if, God forbid, anything might happen to him. Frank Bybee watched from Marsha's doorstep as his friend was taken away to a rehabilitation center where she would remain for the next two weeks. He placed JJ in the backseat of a squad car and sped away from her house and drove directly to the bank. He cashed the two $1,000 checks and deposited the money into his personal account. Back in his car, Frank opened his laptop and made a post on Craigslist. Within days, he had sold JJ to a new owner. 
Support for Swindled comes from Audible, who proudly present Evil as a name, the untold story of the Golden State Killer investigation. Nameless, faceless, for more than 40 years, the depraved monster who preyed on Californians from 1975 to 1986 was known by many aliases. The East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Vesalia Ransacker. Then, on April 24, 2018, authorities arrested 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo based on DNA evidence linked to the crimes. With the suspect now behind bars, could it be the evil finally had a name. Delivering all new details about the investigation and a stunning final act to the events of Michelle McNamara's haunting bestseller, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, forensic criminologist Paul Holes and retired FBI profiler Jim Clemente revealed the unbelievable true story behind the capture of the suspected Golden State Killer. When you're trying to catch a killer, the devil is in the details. Evil has a name, only on Audible. Listen now at audible.com slash evil swindled or text evil swindled to 500 500. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. On January 9th, 2017, a white legal-sized envelope with Frank Bybee's business card taped to the front was delivered to the Sarasota Sheriff's Department. The return address was from Marcia Soul. Inside were four checks with the old woman's signature that totaled $65,000. One for $50,000 was addressed to Frank Bybee. The other three were for $5,000 each and were made out to each of Bybee's sons who were 16, 12, and 3 years old at the time. Those four checks never made it to Frank Bybee. Instead, they were intercepted by detectives from the Sarasota Sheriff's Department and taken to Marsha's soul to verify. Marsha confirmed that the checks were hers, but denied ever signing them or sending them. She pointed out the fact that the signature on the checks contained her middle name, something that she claimed she never did. Sarasota detectives had not confiscated that envelope by chance. The truth is they had been watching Deputy Bybee's every move since December 20th, 2016 because Marcia Soule had reported him for harassment. Marcia said that in the two months she had known Frank Bybee, he had become increasingly controlling. She said he had inserted himself into all of her personal affairs and that he had inquired about her longtime health and financial accounts. She told the detectives about the two checks for $1,000 that Bybee cashed and kept. She told them about the arrangement for him to watch JJ. She told them about how he had sold her dog on Craigslist. Frank Bybee was placed on paid administrative leave while the investigation continued, and it wasn't the first time that he had been disciplined at work. 
This man in a position of authority apparently had a recurring problem with authority. In 2008, Bybee had been suspended for not following proper law enforcement procedures. In 2015, Bybee was suspended again for lying to his supervisors. In response to the harassment investigation, Bybee was told to keep his distance from Marsha Soul, an order that Bybee had no issue with since, according to him, this was all a big misunderstanding. Much ado about nothing. However, Frank Bybee's promises and denials didn't mean much, seeing as how he would be in contact with Marsha's soul less than three days after the failed delivery of the forged checks. On January 12, 2017, around 2.30 in the morning, the unlocked front door of Marsha's soul's home creaked open. Marsha was sitting in her chair, dozing off in front of her TV, when she saw a man wearing dark clothes and a baseball cap and blue latex gloves enter her home. Marsha could tell from his approach that the man was angry. He was cursing and berating her about some kind of internal investigation. As he got closer from the illumination of the TV screen, she was able to recognize that man as Deputy Frank Bybee. Frank mounted Marsha while she remained seated in her recliner. He placed his knee on her pelvis to keep her from moving and violently grabbed her face and placed a hand over her mouth. Marsha struggled to breathe. She could taste the rubber from the gloves and the blood from her teeth and gums. Then he pushed and he shoved and he left a permanent red mark on my nose. And I kept moving around trying to get away and kept waiting to see the white light that you're supposed to see before you die. Bybee removed a pillow from the recliner and placed it over Marsha's face. He used all of his strength in an attempt at smothering the old woman to death, but she never lost consciousness. Bybee grew frustrated. He gave up and threw the pillow aside and reached for a white pill bottle that was sitting on a nearby end table. He forcefully opened Marsha's mouth and dumped the contents of the bottle inside. It was a prescription tranquilizer medication that Marsha used to aid her sleep. Bybee forced her to swallow the pills and release his grip. The last thing Marsha remembers from that night is begging Frank to leave her alone while watching him cover his tracks. And I started saying, oh Frank, please, please stop, go away, don't hurt me anymore. And he got busy cleaning up the blood that was on the floor. When Marsha's soul regained consciousness a few hours later, around four in the morning, she heard a faint rumbling coming from her garage. Bloody-faced and barely coherent, she struggled to her feet and walked into her kitchen. She noticed that the door connecting her house to the garage was open, but the garage door was closed, and that noise she heard was coming from her idling car, which was filling the inside of her house with carbon monoxide. Marcia stumbled towards the phone and called the cops. On January 16th, detectives interviewed Frank Bybee with his lawyer present for over two hours about his relationship and interactions with Marsha Soul. One of the first questions asked was about the $65,000 worth of checks that arrived to the sheriff's office that were addressed to him. Frank Bybee claimed to have no knowledge of these checks. My apologies for the terrible quality of this recording. Did you write the checks? No. Did you send these checks to the sheriff's office? No. Will your DNA or fingerprints be on any of these checks? No. Unless they were some of the checks were not very 
If you couldn't hear that, Frank Bybee denied writing or sending the checks, and he said that there shouldn't be any reason that his DNA or fingerprints would be found on them. Frank did, however, admit to cashing the two checks for $1,000 that were for car repairs and health expenses for Marsha's dog, but he said he spent that money for its intended purposes. When asked about Marsha Soul's latest allegations that he tried to kill her, Frank Bybee told the detectives that Marsha was an 80-year-old woman with mental issues who was trying to set him up. He said that in the past, she had threatened to report him if he didn't agree to do certain things for her, like clean out her garage. But this is a whole other level. Absolutely. So why, what would be her motivating factor to, to do this? If she did fall and she got a busted up face, why would the call come in at 5.30 in the morning saying you had come over and you were angry and now she has these injuries and it's your fault that you did this to her. I don't know. I mean, all, all I can say is it kind of, maybe she's trying to set me up also. Maybe she's got something going on. I don't know what's in her head. I can't tell you. But um, she's 80 years old. The Sarasota County Sheriff's Department also interviewed the officer that was the first to arrive at Marsha's house on the night that Frank Bybee allegedly tried to kill her. 23-year-old Deputy Carson Plank said she did not see anything out of the ordinary at the victim's home to cause her to believe an attempted murder had occurred, and she denied having any contact with Frankie Bybee immediately before or after the incident. Deputy Plank was interviewed a second time three days later, and she was confronted with evidence that proved that she had lied. Investigators had gained access to text messages between Bybee and Plank that were sent on the night in question. One sent by Deputy Plank read, quote, Frankie, she said you tried to kill her. Three minutes later, Deputy Plank followed up that message with another that read, quote, We squashed it. Investigators also confronted Deputy Plank with a photograph of the crime scene that she had sent to Frank Bybee. It was a photograph of a hair with blood on the follicle, a photograph that Deputy Plank had never submitted into evidence. With the proof of her lies in front of her, Carson Plank had no other choice but to come clean. She admitted that she had lied, and she told detectives that she had tipped Bybee off about the types of questions she had been asked during the first interview. Deputy Carson Plank was arrested and charged with tampering with evidence and providing false information to law enforcement. She was fired from the Sarasota Sheriff's Department four months later. As the investigation continued, detectives were able to unearth even more incriminating evidence against Frank Bybee. Surveillance video obtained from grocery stores and convenience stores in Sarasota and surrounding counties show Bybee in uniform and on duty using Marsha Soul's debit card to withdraw cash from ATMs. Detectives also discovered that Bybee had gained access to Marsha's PayPal account, which he used in combination with her name and email address to purchase over $1,000 worth of automotive equipment. It was the same email address that Bybee had used to send the fake suicide note to Dr. Lerner. Investigators had determined that Bybee used his knowledge of the legal system to have Marsha Soul committed under the Baker Act so that he could take advantage of her financially. At 7 a.m. this morning, deputies with the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office arrested Frankie Eugene Bybee 
an 18-year Sheriff's Office employee after allegations of harassment by a 79-year-old Sarasota woman led to a criminal investigation and felony charges. Bybee's actions were first called into question on December the 20th, 2016, when the victim reported to us that Bybee was harassing her. An internal affairs investigation was launched and quickly revealed that Bybee had befriended the victim after responding to her home for a call for service on October the 21st, 2016. Bybee began making regular visits to the victim's home while on and off duty and also introduced the victim to several members of his family. Detectives learned that Bybee took possession of the victim's dog while she was hospitalized and received a check for $1,000 in the event that the dog had any medical needs while the victim was away. Bybee deposited the money in his personal bank account and later told our detectives that he had rehomed the dog on Craigslist. On January 23, 2017, Frank Bybee was arrested and booked into the Sarasota County Jail and terminated from the Sheriff's Department. He was charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, battery of a victim 65 years or older, burglary of an occupied dwelling, exploitation of the elderly, grand theft, computer fraud, forgery, and 10 counts of criminal use of personal identification. And if those charges weren't enough, a week after Bybee was arrested, Internal Affairs investigators received a tip from a woman concerning new allegations about the former deputy's behavior. The story took an unexpected turn when a woman contacted the sheriff's office about possible prostitution. She claimed for years she paid Bybee more than $100,000 for sex and said he'd send her videos of himself performing sex acts inside his patrol car while on duty. The woman also stated she bought him a camper, gave him $20,000 to buy a Jeep, and paid off his $30,000 loan. While his brothers and sisters on the force were risking their lives trying to protect and serve, Frank Bybee received over $150,000 from some lady to sit in his car and play with his baton. Not a bad gig if you can get it, I guess. But those days were over. Frank Bybee was now sitting on suicide watch, housed in the medical wing of the Sarasota County Jail, where he was being monitored 24 hours a day. He slept on a plastic mattress on the floor of the facility under bright overhead lights that never turned off. He was not allowed reading materials other than the Bible nor was he allowed to purchase anything from the commissary. Bybee's lawyers filed a motion in April 2017, alleging that the conditions in which their client was being held were inhumane. The motion contended that Frank Bybee was not suicidal and that he should be treated like a normal inmate. The state defended their treatment of Bybee, saying it was for his own protection. After all, a cop is never the most popular person in jail. Frank Bybee's trial began in September 2017. After about a week and a half of testimony from Dr. Lerner, Frank's wife Heike, Detective Cassandra Gaeta, who led the investigation, and the victim Marcia Soule, and other experts and witnesses, the jury deliberated for seven hours before returning with a verdict. Mr. Bybee, have the jury having rendered a verdict, the court at this time adjudicates you guilty of the crime of kidnapping, exploitation of an elderly person, Count six, fraudulent use of personal identification information. Count seven, fraudulent use of personal identification information. Count ten, fraudulent use of personal identification Frank Bybee had been convicted of 13 charges, including kidnapping. 
he was not convicted of attempted murder. Judge Donald Mason had strong words for Frank Bybee as he handed out his sentence, quote, Remembrance is the highest compliment you can give a law enforcement officer. They say he or she is a good cop. No one can say that about you. You'll forever be known as a bad cop. Even with those words, Frank Bybee seemed to get off a bit light. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and 10 years of probation. The state was asking for at least a 70-year sentence. This is Bybee's defense attorney, Ronald Kerpiers. You know, I'm I'm uh, pleased and and we're blessed that obviously the jury uh, found him not guilty of the attempted murder. Certainly, if that had been on the table, it would have been a whole different ball game. But um, you know, 15 years better in life. Um, you know, not saying that 15 years is what this man wants to do, but he's gone through hell and he will have a very difficult time uh, in custody uh, just because of who he is and what he, what he's done. You know, when you when you think about the impact it has on his kids, his boys, and he is extremely close with those three boys. I mean, they're 16, 12, and 3. You know, uh, you just do the math, he's not going to get a chance to see them become young men, and that's devastating. Although disappointed that Frank Bybee had not been convicted of attempted murder, Assistant State Attorney Karen Freivillig seemed satisfied with the results, and she pointed to the difficulty that Judge Mason as a former law enforcement officer, must have faced when sentencing a fellow cop, as if it matters. It was clear that Judge Mason struggled uh, quite a bit in deciding the sentence in this case, and because he was a former law enforcement himself, he served 30 years in Massachusetts as a cop. This case was very close to his heart. I think he gave a very, very just sentence based upon the fact that Bybee, as I said, dishonored his badge and he brought dishonor on all the men and women of our community, both Sarasota Police Department, Sarasota Sheriff's Office that worked so hard. And the way he victimized this woman was almost Machiavellian. What he did, sending fake emails to her doctor and taking her out of essentially taking her out of the community for 20, for 14 days in which, and he, and he took that time, that 14 days to steal her money, go into her accounts, essentially go through everything in her home is just reprehensible that law enforcement could do such a thing and he will be punished for his acts. Thank you. Marsha's soul recovered fully from Frankie Bybee's financial and physical attacks. Not only were authorities able to recover much of the money stolen from her, they were able to recover her beloved dog, JJ, as well. The two of them are still in Sarasota, Florida, living out their golden years. This is Sarasota County Sheriff Tom Knight. Wearing a uniform and having a badge is cherished in that if you take it lightly and you could exploit it, you deserve to be Frankie Bybee and taken to state prison is that it's not often that people get the opportunity to wear this badge and wear this uniform and go out and protect people and serve people. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's the fundamental principle of what we do, what I've done for 31 years. I'm glad he's not wearing the same uniform anymore that I wear and that nearly a 1,000 people in my sheriff's office wear. We get a bad cop out of our uniform. We protect the integrity of the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office on our own with our detectives. But the losers here are his children, and that's what's really sad about this. 
Swindled is written, researched, produced, and hosted by me, a concerned citizen, with music by Ethan Helfrich. For more information about the show, visit swindledpodcast.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at swindledpodcast. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com swindled. For five bucks a month, you will get early access to new episodes when possible and exclusive access to bonus episodes. If you sign up today, you will have instant access to bonus episodes about Martha Stewart's insider trading scandal and Wyclef Jean's Haitian charity scam. There's another about a coral reef made of tires and the McDonald's Monopoly game and more. Also, if that advertisement you heard about halfway through this episode ruined your day, uh, guess what? Patreon supporters never hear those and never will, and neither will you if you join. Patreon supporters also receive free merchandise on a regular basis, and science has proven that Patreon supporters actually sleep better knowing that 5% of their donation goes to a different charity each month. It's true. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash swindled. Or you can support the show another way by buying something at swindledpodcast.com slash shop, or by sending a one-time donation using the form on the homepage. Anything is appreciated. Well, the results of the 2018 Discover Pods Awards are in, and Swindled was the runner-up in the true crime category, which is pretty awesome. Thank you to everyone who took the time to vote. As you probably know, there are a billion true crime podcasts out there begging for your attention, and it still amazes me that anyone listens to this one. So thank you for your support. It really does mean a lot. Also, the show will be going on a mini hiatus during the holiday season probably three weeks at most between now and the next episode instead of the usual two weeks but i promise it'll be worth the wait so stick around will you that's it stay tuned for promos for other independent podcasts thanks for listening people like that you know are capable of doing anything and that's where the fear comes in A man cut a screwdriver through the skull and no lady would kill anybody. So I don't I think everybody was scared to death. A small little town. I'm convinced that we were living with a serial killer. When two people kill together, they form an unbreakable bond. Instead of prove your loyalty and become a lord of death. You have to take a soul and make the ultimate sacrifice. Lords of Death is the story of two serial killers, the people who let them get away, and the one person who never stopped pursuing the truth. From Dayton, Ohio, I'm Thrasher Banks. Lords of Death is available now on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Simply Safe for sponsoring the show. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe.